We all know the details of scary urban legends, but we can't remember why we're going to the grocery store. What makes certain things stick in our memory? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Pulse of American Medicine. I am your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing current therapies for new uses. And my guest is Dan Heath, co-author of the best-selling book, Made to Stick. Dan lives in Raleigh, North Carolina. Dan and I are discussing what makes certain ideas sticky and others not, and how this might apply to a medical practice. Dan, welcome to ReachMD. Thanks for having me on. How did you and your brother get this idea, and how long did it take to turn it into a book? What frustrated my brother and I was the unfairness of the marketplace of ideas. You know, there are ideas that are sleazy and false, like urban legends. You know, in fact, we start our book with the tale of the kidney thieves who accost the business traveler and he wakes up in a bathtub full of ice. And sleazy ideas like that and celebrity gossip and on all manner of things seem to circulate effortlessly in the world. And yet, you know, people like doctors and teachers and managers seem to have a heck of a time just getting their colleagues to pay attention, much less having an idea stick. And and that struck us as just incredibly unfair. And so we began to study these successful ideas like urban legends, like famous ad campaigns, like proverbs and fables. And, And what we noticed was these successful ideas had traits in common, that you could spot the same trait in a successful conspiracy theory that you could spot in a successful eighth grade history lesson. And so the book came about when we realized, hey, there are just a couple of these traits, and they're actually quite practical to use with people's ideas. And from the point we started to the point the book came out was probably three or four years. So what are the main concepts of Made to Stick? The fundamental concept is that it's possible for all of us to make our ideas stickier. And, and what sticky means is that our ideas are understood and remembered, and they change something. They change opinions or behaviors or values. And it's quite practical to do that. You don't have to be a creative person. You don't have to be an ad agency kind of person. You just have to embrace a couple of the principles we talk about in the book. So some examples are sticky ideas are simple. You know, simple in the sense that you've prioritized what's important, not simple in the sense of dumbing down. Sticky ideas are unexpected. You know, they, they have some surprising component to them. There's some mystery there. You think about the Atkins diet, for instance. The Atkins diet was one of the stickiest health ideas of the last 20 years. It spread like wildfire long before there was any advertising involved. And the reason it was so sticky was because of unexpectedness. Our whole lives we were told, you know, you can only lose weight by eating broccoli and sprouts and, you know, greens and kind of uh, denying yourself pleasures. And then all of a sudden this idea comes up that says, you can lose all the weight you want by eating bunless bacon cheeseburgers. That pretty much refuted every single part of our schema of how diets are supposed to work. And so these principles, like simplicity, like unexpectedness, we can fold those into our own ideas to make them more successful. So did you try and write the book in a way that it would be sticky with readers? And if so, how did you pull that off? Yeah, we knew that our book would be judged by its own standards. You know, when your basketball coach can't make a free throw, it kind of hurts his credibility. So There were a lot of times when we literally pulled out our own checklist of sticky ideas, and there, again, are six of these traits. And so we'd just write down these six traits, and we'd take a four- or five-page snippet that we've written and just, you know, judge them against the traits. And i got to tell you, there were many times when we didn't score very well. So it was a nice reminder to us that 
look, a lot of these traits are not hard. It's not hard to tell a story. It's not hard to, to be simple, but it's not natural either. It takes the reminder of having a checklist to go through. And we found that a lot of times we needed our own checklist to, to make the book better. So you mentioned before you don't really need to hire a big ad agency to come up with these sticky ideas. How can the average person use these principles to make their ideas stickier? To me, stickiness is the great equalizer for ideas. There are a lot of people in the world that have big ad budgets and PR teams and speechwriters. What stickiness does is it corrects for all that. Sticky ideas are ones that don't need millions of dollars behind them. An urban legend doesn't have millions of dollars behind it. A proverb doesn't have a team of full-time people working on it. So our book is full of examples of very ordinary people who made a big difference in the world through their ideas. There's one example of a medical internist in Australia who had discovered that ulcers were caused by bacteria. Now, this was a hugely important finding because one in 10 adults is stricken with an ulcer at some point in their lives. So there should have been a ticker tape parade for this finding because, you know, if ulcers are caused by bacteria, it means they can be cured and and cured with a a simple regimen of antibiotics. Problem was, this guy was a 30-year-old medical internist in Perth, Australia, which is not exactly the normal recipe for major scientific breakthroughs. And so no one believed this guy. He would tell his colleagues, and they would kind of pat him on the back and say, you know, there's no way bacteria could survive in the environment of the stomach, uh, but nice try. And so eventually, he uh, called his colleagues together, poured himself a shot glass full of this bacteria that he had found responsible for ulcers, chugged the shot glass to the horror of his colleagues, and then over the weeks to come, sure enough, he developed an ulcer just like he predicted, and he cured it with antibiotics. And a couple decades later, he won the Nobel Prize for this finding. But here was an ordinary guy who had to find something dramatic to do to communicate this idea that he couldn't sell at first. And that's a classic example of the kind of situation we care about. An individual without great resources has a great idea. How do they make it stick? And keep going back to those six core principles that help ideas stick. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to The Pulse of American Medicine on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and I am speaking with Dan Heath, co-author of the best-selling book, Made to Stick, about how made-to-stick concepts might work in a healthcare setting. So let's go back and look at this example of H. pylori, and let's judge it against these six principles. So would you say it was simple? Yeah, certainly. And what's the next one is unexpected. This was kind of off the charts unexpected. The idea that the ulcers were something that could be cured with antibiotics, you know, kind of ran against everybody's instincts. And so it had a huge surprise quotient, much like the Atkins diet. And then there's two C's in your little success acronym. So one is concreteness. This was strong in concreteness because this is something that you can actually observe. You can study the effects that uh, this bacteria had on, on Robin Warren's stomach. Credibility was the weak point here, and this is what he was struggling with before he did this dramatic thing. As a 30-year-old internist, he wasn't that credible to his colleagues. And so what he did was he essentially had to stage a demonstration to prove this. He couldn't rely on his own authority to make the message credible. He had to make the message speak for itself. Does that demonstration also embody the last two principles, which are emotion and stories? No question. I mean, just imagine the horror that you would experience if you witnessed your colleague chug voluntarily a glass of bacteria. And the story, I think it's primarily important in the sense of communicating the word outward in the medical community. 
because again, Robin Warren wouldn't have had access to any major media outlets. And so this story of him kind of poisoning himself and then curing himself as a way to prove his theory spread far and wide and eventually turned the tide on this idea. So that's a great story of a real positive effect from a sticky idea. Do you guys have any stories of sort of evildoers using sticky principles to move their work forward? No question. And in fact, that brings up an important point, which is sticky, unfortunately, doesn't mean good. It doesn't mean true. It doesn't even mean useful. So the kidney thieves urban legend that we all know is a great example of a story that sticks, even though it has no redeeming social value whatsoever. And so that's a bit troubling. When you look at political campaigns like the Swift Boat veterans from the last election, you know, that was an incredibly sticky story that, that I don't think anyone is particularly proud of at this point, no matter how you voted. And so how do you fight ideas like that? The one thing we've got to learn is that stickiness is powerful. And so it's usually a waste of time to try to unstick a sticky message. A better response is to try to fight a sticky message with another sticky message. So here's a classic example. You know, cigarette companies over the course of decades have used advertising to make the allure of smoking powerful and tangible to teenagers. You can't simply reverse that. There's been too much investment in that idea. But what a campaign called The Truth did was they fought that sticky message with another one. So The Truth is a series of public service announcements, and a, and a typical commercial runs something like this. A group of teenagers pull up in a truck in front of the headquarters of a major tobacco company, and they pile out of the truck and they start piling what look to be body bags on the front lawn of this corporation. And at the end of the ad, there's a huge pile of bags, and, and one of the teenagers shouts into a megaphone, your products kill people every day. The number of body bags here are the number of people that died today because of your products. And so notice what's happening there. The traditional emotion of rebellion, which of course is the quintessence of our teenage years, it used to be that to be rebellious, you smoked. Now, according to this truth campaign, the way to be rebellious is to go find a way to stick it to these evil multinational tobacco companies. So that's, to me, a, a brilliant example of fighting shady stickiness with virtuous stickiness, so to speak. How might the government use the stickiness principles to promote an anti-obesity campaign? Because we don't seem to be getting that message across to all of our fellow Americans these days. It's a great question and a critical idea domain, and I'm certainly not going to crack the issue on this interview, but I do think there's a good direction to go. And, and I think that there is a major failure out there, which is the food pyramid. I think the food pyramid is an absolute disaster of an idea. I've gotten in the habit, just for my own amusement, of asking people to explain the food pyramid as they understand it. And, and I have yet to run into a single person who can translate the notion of the food pyramid into the actual recommendations for, for dietary guidelines. A lot of people don't even really understand what the pyramid is a metaphor for. And so the question is, why did the food pyramid fail and what could be its replacement? The food pyramid and things like it fail because they're constantly talking in, in language that the average person doesn't relate to. What does it mean to have six servings of, of wheat? What does it mean to have no more than two servings of oils? That's not the way we think about our diets. What we need to show people, if we want to show them a proper diet, we need to show them photographs of plates. Here's what a healthy breakfast would look like. Here's what a healthy lunch would look like. Here's what a healthy dinner would look like. Don't talk in terms of ounces and grams and servings. Show me the plate. Show me how many french fries I can put on a plate and still keep it reasonable. 
You know, show me that um, you can sprinkle some strawberries on, on the side of your breakfast plate to add another food group. Uh, and so I think that there's a huge opportunity for us to delve into a more concrete version of these health ideas. And concreteness is one of the critical principles of stickiness. As our guest Dan Heath reminds us, we all remember the details of the urban legend about the guy who wakes up in the ice-filled bathtub with a cell phone and a note to call the hospital because his kidneys have been removed. Why are those details locked in our brains? I want to thank Dan Heath, co-author of the book Made to Stick, for helping us see how Made to Stick concepts might work in healthcare. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that repurposes existing treatment for new uses. You've been listening to the Pulse of American Medicine on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.